This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. Get up to 30% off well-crafted and personalized gifts from participating shops until May 12th. This year, embrace your creative side. You know, the side your mom gave you? And shop Etsy for custom jewelry, style pieces, home decor, and extra special items she'll adore. Need something original and affordable for Mother's Day? Etsy has it. Shop until May 12th for up to 30% off gifts for mom. Terms apply. Our CBS Sunday Morning Podcast is sponsored by Verizon Wireless. Verizon is launching its 5G ultra-wideband network for ultra-fast speeds, ultra-low latency, and massive capacity. This is 5G built right. I'm Jane Pauley, and this is Sunday Morning. Venice is enduring another round of exceptionally high flooding today, threatening countless historic buildings and precious works of art. Fixing the damage may well require the services of experts in making the old new. Experts like those our Lee Cowan has been talking to. As salt water seeps into some of the most historic places in Venice, Art lovers are on edge. The job of preserving and restoring masterpieces falls to art conservators, who, ever so delicately, are up close and personal with works like this, almost on a daily basis. You have to kind of separate yourself in the moment, or you'd be constantly in a state of fear. (laughs) (laughs) The fine art of keeping fine works of art looking their best, ahead on Sunday morning. He's a legend of broadcasting. 
not to mention a very good friend of long standing. His name is Tom Brokaw, and this morning Tom and I are doing some catching up. There is a welcome new addition to this set, a kind of dawn in itself. It is Jane Pauley, of course. It's been more than 40 years since Tom Brokaw and I first appeared together on television. I was watching you interview the new Miss America and this poor woman being grilled within an inch of her life. You said you were opposed to the use of drugs, smoking, abortion, and you weren't even certain about the ERA. And I did everything but ask her, who paid for the cupcakes? <laughs> you know. A chat with an old friend later. <laughs> Think boxing is a sport strictly for the guys? Califasane has a different view from ringside. The world of boxing is a tough place, but these two women have battled their way to the top. Typically, fans love seeing someone get knocked out. Yeah, I know. It's a brutal sport. I don't know why people want to see people get knocked out. (laughs) (laughs) Ahead on Sunday morning, a fight for respect. Mark Phillips is in conversation with author John le Carre. Jonathan Vigliotti offers us a spoonful of honey. James Brown profiles a driving force in women's golf. And more, all coming up when our Sunday morning podcast continues. Once again today, floodwaters are ravaging Venice, the jewel of Italy's Adriatic coast. At risk are scores of historic buildings with equally historic interiors, many filled with precious artwork. That got us thinking about the people whose job it is to keep fine works of art looking fine. Lee Cowan reports our cover story. Italy's floating city. It's slowly succumbing to the unrelenting wash of the Adriatic. One of Venice's landmarks, St. Mark's Basilica, is among the hardest hit by the recent tidal surge. Worshippers replaced by water. Experts can't be sure of the extent of the damage until the flooding recedes. But if any city is prepared to save its treasures from rising water, it's Venice. Art conservators like this one continued working even as the floodwaters crept across the floor. It's that kind of quiet dedication to preserving paintings, both old and new, that we sometimes overlook when we're walking through a museum. Paintings, like all of us, age and change. Dirt and grime are the more common enemy, far more so than flooding or fire. So I have to build it up slowly. If I put up too much in it, it That's what makes professional art conservators like Rona McBeth at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston as valuable as the art they treat. It's the artist's intent that drives all of this. As best we possibly can, we want to be true to that idea of artist's intent. What we're trying to do is, is, is take away the barriers between the artist's original vision and the viewer. To begin removing that barrier is a delicate process, but it's a bit indelicate to demonstrate. She uses her own spit why? Why use saliva? Uh, it's um, an incredibly effective um, enzyme for removing grime off the surface. Is it really? Yes, and it works incredibly well. You ever get a dry mouth working? Yep. <laughs> you have to kind of separate yourself 
in the moment, or you'd be constantly in a state of fear. <laughs> <laughs> Allison Langley is head of painting conservation at the Art Institute of Chicago, where they're working on any number of paintings, including this massive 17th century French masterpiece. A lot of what we do as conservators is a little bit like CSI. We use ultraviolet light, x-ray, infrared to examine the surface and to look below the surface. Okay, that's good. Okay. Francesca Casadillo is using something called macroscopic x-ray okay, to good. analyze individual pigments. So we get some yellow, some green. In this case, the pigments in a Vincent van Gogh. What does it actually tell you? The makeup tells, of the paint? It tells us the makeup of the paint. The chemicals in the, the chemicals paint. in the paint. Really? Those chemicals are important because some of the paints that Van Gogh used are discoloring over time. The yellow leaves, for example, in this work, Fishing in Spring, are now more of a mustard color. So all of these leaves would have looked more like would that? Would have looked more like this, yes. Van Gogh's reds have faded, too. Through digital imaging, Computers can show us what his bedroom series may have actually looked like when Van Gogh painted it. Instead of the blue walls that we see today, the pigment may actually have been a little closer to violet. One of the joys of computers is we can change them back without touching the painting. We can do reconstructions digitally. Even more recent pieces, like this priceless Jackson Pollock, need some TLC. Although... This is perhaps a little less scientific. Do you ever wonder what Jackson Pollock would think of what you're doing to his painting? All of, always. And actually, when you're working on any artist's work, you wonder what they would think. But I think the idea of you know, somebody taking the time to conserve his work, making it last for posterity, I think he'd be thrilled. Chris Stavrudis was hired by the Museum of Contemporary Art in Los Angeles not too long ago to make Pollock's drips and dribbles look as vibrant as the day he drizzled them. It's a very interactive process. And intimate, it sounds like. Incredibly intimate. It's always funny to think that I'll have spent more time looking at this painting than Jackson Pollock ever would have. Still, there are those who say fine art should just be left alone, that any fading or dirt or even damage is part of the natural life of a painting. You're making choices all the time. And one very legitimate choice is to do nothing. But you have to understand what that choice means. It means accepting the appearance of something which is potentially very different than how it originally looked. The restoration of the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, for example, was often the subject of sometimes angry debate. Some claim Michelangelo's frescoes were restored too much. But in the end, the hope of almost any artist is that their work stands the test of time. And the science of conservation is and has always been the art of keeping time at bay. We're in conversation this morning with John Le Carre, the Cold War spy novelist who is now taking on the hottest political issue in Britain. Our Mark Phillips has paid him a visit. Once, a place like this might have given John le Carré refuge from the world of espionage and intrigue he's so often written about. Not anymore. Walking through an English garden, you'd think the world was not so bad a place. You would think that, yeah. yes. Um, and, of course, it's the kind of garden, in my imagination, where Brexit was born. <laughs> in a place it's, like this? Yes, a gentleman owns everything he beholds, and... 
sees this paradise about him and thinks, how can we let those bloody foreigners in? Le Carre is 88 now, and 25 novels, 10 films, and six TV adaptations later, he has new villains, the people trying to take Britain out of the European Union. I'm talking about Brexit. I'm talking about the difference, which Americans also know very well, between patriotism and nationalism. A patriot can criticize his country, stay with it, and go through the democratic process. A nationalist needs enemies. No deal. Bye-bye. Lucare's feelings about Brexit are well known. He's against it. He's joined street demonstrations demanding the chance to vote again in a new referendum. Have a vote and revoke. Now that the potentially damaging consequences of Brexit are better known. But the problem, he says, is bigger than that. I think to have abandoned our allies effectively in Europe, to have actually turned them through the rhetoric that's thrown around into enemies, that's something quite extraordinary. And he's not shy about getting those opinions into his new book. The first reference to Brexit, I think, is described the absurdity, I think, is the phrase you use. Uh, it was much ruder than that. It was... <laughs> Let's call it that. Uh, yes. Let me just say, first of all, that always in my books I've tried to live the passion of my time. And uh, in this case, I felt very deeply, I f continue to feel very deeply, that the British public has been bamboozled by people with private interests. So to get that feeling, to invest the argument in characters rather than just mm. stand on the soapbox, that was my job. That's always been Le Carre's job. Times have changed since we first met him in the mid-1990s at his seaside home in England's Wild West country. The Cold War had been declared over. The books he had written there based on his own experience as a British spook, The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, Smiley's People, and all the rest seemed like old news. Several had been made into films and TV shows and seemed like relics of another age. Vladimir was the best source we had on Soviet capabilities and intentions. He was close to their intelligence community and reported on that, too. Oh, damn it, George, that whole era is dead. And so is Vladimir. And I wish to God we got half his courage and one-tenth of his integrity. Le Carre was a one-man spy fiction industry back then. Joseph Conrad wrote about the sea because he was born to the sea. I was recruited very early into the secret world. I would copy Conrad in that respect. The secret world was my natural element. I was in it for those years, and I understand its workings as he understands the sea. But even then, he saw that the future looked a lot like the past. It doesn't matter what new circumstances occur. It's the same show running in the background. It's the same people running it. I mean, you look at the new so-called Russian security service. It's just the KGB in drag. And the Russians are back in his latest book, Making Trouble Again. Do you feel you've kind of come full circle? I think the first time we spoke was when the, you know, when history was allegedly ending and you were moving on to other stuff, and here you are again talking about the same sort of things. Yeah, well, first of all, I never subscribed to the view that history had ended. And, in fact, statistically, the size of intelligence services in every country has grown enormously since the end of the Cold War. Um, it's the same game, but played 
for different purposes and by different rules. There's still plenty of history to go around. Le Carre has not mellowed with age, and American politics don't get an easy ride in his new book either. In Ed's world, there was no dividing line between Brexit fanatics and Trump fanatics. Both were racist and xenophobic. Both worshipped at the same shrine of nostalgic imperialism. Le Carre has tried to stop writing and speaking out, but says he couldn't. Is there another novel in you? Yes, there's very much another novel in me. It, it gnaws away. Another novel and more. After the recent success of a TV version of The Night Manager... An offer to do what? To bring down Richard Roper. I want to put you inside his operation. Oh, very good to see you, Mr. Roper. I'm The Night Manager. And after the successful run of the new TV treatment of The Little Drummer Girl... The enemy is using Westerners, so must we. What's the character? A terrorist. Le Carre is now working on more TV treatments for some of his early spy novels. There's still a lot he wants to say. Britain is famous, used to be, for common sense and, and centrist Political compromise, yeah. yes. It's gone. So what do you do? Well, agitate. I keep on writing. I'm 88, so uh, my, <laughs> my range for the future is strictly limited. You, be, you better get cracking. Um, I better get cracking. I have no time. I have no time to die either. But I suppose I'll have to. <laughs> Not yet, let's say. Thanks. Let's say, yeah. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings at hundreds of stores, including Doc Martens, Ninja Kitchen, and Hotels.com. Prep for summer and save big on beauty, travel, electronics, and more. It's one of Rakuten's biggest cash back events. And it's on May 6th through May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Can a spoonful of honey actually extend your life? Well, some folks on a certain Greek island believe it can. And to hear Jonathan Vigliotti tell it, they have a tasty argument. Not far from the picture-perfect tourist hubs of Santorini and Mykonos, where cruise ships unload tourists by the thousands, sits another Greek island. More rugged, but no less remarkable, Ikaria is off the beaten path. Up the winding mountain roads of this isolated isle, you're likely to notice these brightly painted boxes dotting the landscape. And what's happening inside those boxes is generating some buzz. Bees, busy making a rare honey that locals believe is one of the secrets to a long life. We suited up to get a closer look. Do you think that your honey helps the people here live longer? Beekeeper Andoni Karamalis explains that people on the island have been eating the honey for generations to keep healthy and strong well into old age. 109-year-old Yaya Joanna at work in her weaving studio agrees. There's something special about it. So does 87-year-old beekeeper Giorgios Stenos. Do you eat your honey? You see fast, smelly soon. Every day. 
every single day. I go through one of these almost a week. Chef Diane Cochilla says she has a spoonful every morning. So when the locals here say it's like their medicine, their daily vitamin, there's truth to that. There is truth to that. And the local older guys say it's nature's Viagra. (laughs) I don't know if I should be telling you that. To our knowledge, that claim hasn't been tested. But research has found that people here have among the highest life expectancies in the world. And the University of Athens concluded that Icarians are more than twice as likely as Americans to reach age 90, often in better health. What was it in Mary Poppins? Just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. With a spoonful of honey, you don't need medicine. (laughs) It's good. For centuries, humans have valued honey for its medicinal properties. And in Icaria, known in ancient times as the healing island, the honey is different from that found on most supermarket shelves. What makes Icarian honey so unique? First of all, there's no industrial farming on the island. Uh, there's no, no, very few commercial undertakings whatsoever. So nature is pretty pure. As a result, the pollen and nectar collected by the bees is free of chemicals and pesticides, normally found in commercial or private farming. And unlike most honey sold in the U.S., Icarian honey is also unheated, unfiltered, and unpasteurized, all processes which can destroy the natural vitamins and minerals. In other words... It's going from the bees to somebody's mouth. Andoni is just facilitating. Or they go to the beach this time. David Kahn and his wife Robin are also helping yeah. spread the word. The American expats, who moved to the island a decade ago for a simpler life, introduced Andoni to a distributor in the U.S. And when we first came, we had a lot of friends that would want the honey because we had it at our house. They were like, what is this? It's so great. So we kept, he kept going up to Andoni's all the time. And they said, where can we order this stuff? So it's basically been a very well-kept secret. That secret, now perhaps, a little less well-kept. How do you feel about word spreading? I have to be honest, that's a double-edged sword because we want to share, of course, the goodness, but we also want to retain the purity of the place and keep it more or less as it is. (laughs) To a Washington that last week saw hours of televised impeachment hearings and the conviction of Donald Trump ally Roger Stone had one more ingredient. That new tell-all book by Anonymous, Major Garrett, has our Sunday Journal. President Trump is a threat to America. That is the thrust of A Warning on sale Tuesday, and written by an author described only as a senior Trump administration official. That cloak of anonymity is the same one the writer wore in a New York Times column last fall, which argued the president is amoral. Mr. Trump's response to that op-ed? This tweet. An anomalous, really an anomalous, gutless coward. Reince, come up here. Where is Reince Priebus was the president's first chief of staff. Do you have any idea who it is? No. Do you think this writer is a coward? Yes. Because? I think it's improper. I think it's dishonorable. The White House agrees. Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham called the book a work of fiction. CBS News has not confirmed the identity of the author or the claims he or she makes. Nobody really knows whether these quotes or these accusations are true because we don't know who it is. There's no way to judge the veracity of what this person is saying. 
In the book, Anonymous writes that cabinet officials considered resigning en masse, a so-called midnight self-massacre, to call attention to Trump's misconduct and erratic leadership. Also on the chopping block, the vice president. Quote, on more than one occasion, Trump has discussed with staff the possibility of dropping Vice President Pence in advance of the 2020 election. No, that's the part of this that I think is the, is the, is the most out-of-touch part of the book. We thought Priebus would know most about this passage. Anonymous writes, everyone is the chief of staff but the chief of staff. Donald Trump is the chief of staff. The kids aren't the chief of staff. All the rest of the folks aren't Random the chief Fox of staff. News hosts are not the chief of staff. Trump is the chief of staff. Um, he fears nothing and nobody. Um, is that a good quality for a president? I think in some cases it is. I guess in some other cases, you know, maybe it's a challenge. But, but he is the person in charge. And I think any assertion otherwise is just pure fiction. The president's the quarterback. He's the, he's the center um, and the running back. <laughs> See, he plays every role. That's unusual, though, is it not? It is, but he's a force of nature. And then you think you're going to get impeached? Well, I shouldn't be. Uh, thank you very much. It's a great honor. Anonymous appears to confirm the outlines of the Ukraine controversy at the heart of the House impeachment inquiry. American presidents don't implore foreign leaders to open investigations into domestic political opponents, Anonymous writes. We learned that given enough time and space, Donald J. Trump will seek to abuse any power he is given. It's quite an accusation. Wow, that's heavy. Well, it's also loaded. The president's the fulcrum. He's got the authority to be the director of the orchestra. And that's how I think he views the presidency. And I think in most cases, he has the authority. The author claims Mr. Trump considered naming undocumented migrants enemy combatants and even sending some to Guantanamo Bay. Anonymous writes that Mr. Trump is a bully. Go home to mommy. Who lacks presidential judgment and a basic understanding of government. But Priebus says President Trump's instincts got him where he is. What makes him who he is is also what makes him electable to the American people. Donald Trump's strength comes from being Donald Trump. And I think he knows that. On this Sunday after Veterans Day, special correspondent James Brown is honoring a driving force, a woman who uses golf to heal service members who've sacrificed so much for our country. There you go. Good. Oh, go in, go in, go in. It's a beautiful day for golf on the Clearview Golf Course in East Canton, Ohio. But for these women, being here is about much more than sinking putts. You look at that little white ball, it's very little. (laughs) You don't think of anything else when you're trying to hit that ball. Good putt. The women are part of Clearview Hope, the first golf program for female military veterans in America. It's freedom. You can look at your other comrade, your other sister, and you know what she's saying without even saying a word. These veterans have served in far-flung places like Vietnam, 
Korea, and Iraq, and their service has taken a toll, from sexual assault to post-traumatic stress disorder. What were the biggest challenges associated with being in the service as a woman? I had to work two times harder to get those who are higher ranking than me to understand that I'm good enough to be there. So you see the lines on your putter? One woman, 73-year-old Renee Powell of the PGA of America, decided to help these women heal. She started the veterans program eight years ago. Back and through. And is the golf pro and co-owner of Clearview. Everything they've done throughout my life has always been connected with golf. Uh, and then my biggest passion is this golf course that my father began building in 1946. Her father, Bill Powell, was a World War II veteran who returned home and was denied entry to local golf courses because of the color of his skin. He built Clearview so that Renee and her brother Larry would not have the same barriers. I grew up here. My dad put a golf club in my hand when I was three years old, and I've been playing golf ever since. With support from her mother, Renee's father built Clearview on his own, mostly by hand. It took him 30 years of plowing, planting, and seeding to turn a former dairy farm into this beautiful 18-hole public course. Her brother Larry has been the head groundskeeper of his family plot for all of his life. What continues to drive you and Renee to do this? When you're born into something, you want to see things go proper and right, and that's what drives you. While Larry stayed home to care for Clearview, Renee Powell found she had a special talent for the game. She became a top amateur and captain of the Ohio State golf team. Were there circumstances that you had to persevere and overcome at the collegiate level? I was a top female golfer, amateur golfer in the state of Ohio, but I was never able to play in our Ohio Golf Association tournament because they played at private clubs and I wasn't allowed at private golf clubs. Powell did not let those roadblocks stop her. In 1967, she turned pro and became the second African-American to play on the LPGA Tour, where she faced new challenges. We traveled through the South a lot, and so there were, like, threat letters on my life or refused, uh, you know, um, at restaurants. So after you retired from the tour, you stayed involved. Why? Because I love the game of golf. <laughs> after 13 years on the tour, Powell retired and became an international ambassador for golf. For decades, teaching golf in Africa, Asia, Australia, and Europe. It's beautiful, yes. Powell's contributions have gained her recognition here at the birthplace of golf, St. Andrews, Scotland. She allowed us to tag along on a recent visit. I'm in the middle of writing my autobiography. The last chapter is going to be about the kingdom of Fife and all the things that have happened to me here in St. Andrews. What has happened in St. Andrews is amazing. In 2015, Powell was among the first class of women to gain membership into the most exclusive club in the world, the 265-year-old Royal and Ancient Golf Club. Auburn Stewart Wilson sits on the club's membership board. In Rene, the club wanted to recognize her pioneering playing career, uh, her selfless work in pursuit of equality, and also uh, doing so much particularly for younger generations. 
In 2008, Powell received an honorary degree from the University of St. Andrews. And last year, the school made her the first American in its 600-year history to have a residence hall in her name. Sally Mapstone is the university's principal. Renee was the person who absolutely stood out for me. She represents what is very dear to St. Andrews, which is diversity, inclusivity, and a natural pride in great achievements. She believes in hope, ambition, and thinking about yourself within the context of others. Even on this trip to St. Andrews, Powell was thinking of others. She arranged for her women's veterans group to travel to Scotland. She surprised them when they arrived to stay in Powell Hall. The group played on the historic old course and had tea at the university. You were unselfish in bringing your women veterans here with you. What are you hoping the takeaway will be going back to Clearview? I know the takeaway is going to be so positive for them and uh, to realize how much they are appreciated. Back at Clearview... The veterans definitely appreciate being on the first golf course designed, built, owned, and operated by an African-American in the United States. We want to keep this going for Renee, for her, Larry, and, and Mr. Powell. I'm Jane Pauley. Thank you for listening. And please join us again next Sunday morning. If you like CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Polly, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.